Welcome to In the Lap of the Pods Queen podcast with Paul, Joe and myself, David. I'm affectionately known as the Three Wise Men. Absolutely nobody calls us that, but I'm just... <laughs> so, um, in fact, I want to call us... I sound calls <laughs> is what I want to call us, so... Um, so if you guys have been enjoying these podcasts thank you very much thank you for listening we really appreciate it and our intention really is to just go through the the 14 studio albums and talk about them um, in turn if you want something more from us we can maybe do bonus podcasts on queen on the side you know, maybe you can suggest some some subjects or some topics that you'd like to hear us discuss. Whatever. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And, and I'm I'm assuming that there will be a lot of you who are going straight to this podcast and being the first podcast you've listened to from us. And that makes sense. A Night of the Opera, you know, the, the big album. So maybe you're starting here. And if this is your first, first time listening to us, again, thank you very much. Hopefully you stay with us. You check out the previous three and, and the subsequent ones as well. We are going to be talking about the biggie, which is A Night at the Opera, Queen's biggest selling album, released on the 21st of November, 1975. The background to this album is quite interesting uh, because, of course, we've kind of alluded to it in the previous podcast, and you Queen fans out there will no doubt know about the management bother that Queen had up to that point with uh, Norman Sheffield and the fact that they were really trying to get out of that deal. They were essentially on 60 quid a week. They'd made three albums, three very successful albums. Well, certainly Sheer Heart Attack was, and they just weren't getting paid. They were furiously trying to get out of that deal. Um, they eventually did. But along the way, there's also, there was talk of Don Arden being the, the Queen manager. Don Arden had actually negotiated with Trident to get out of the contract. While Queen were out on tour, but apparently when they get back off tour, it kind of fell through. Um, so that's why Don Arden didn't, didn't actually become the Queen manager. Apparently Peter Grant, the, the Led Zeppelin manager, was very keen to manage Queen as well. Again, that was one that didn't quite work out. So that fell to, to John Reed, Elton John's manager. John Reed famously told the band um, that he would sort out all the problems in the background and order them to go off and make the best album of their career. That management situation being sorted, Queen were able to go on and make make the album. An interview with Brian May, actually in 1990, talked about A Night of the Opera, and I thought it was quite interesting because he said that we returned to the Queen 2 philosophy for this album. So that's quite interesting because, certainly from my point of view, I can hear that because I think on Sheer Heart Attack, it maybe got a little bit simpler. And I feel on the night of the, the opera, um, certainly things got a little bit more more of the Queen 2 vibe at times um, in terms of complexity and things like that. I'm going to come to you, Joe, first. So, A Night of the Opera, Queen's best album, Joe? It's a hard question. I probably would have said, I'd probably still say no, personally, but that's obviously not a slight on the album at all, but... It's definitely moved up in my estimations over the past week or two when I've really listened to it in a more kind of in like a proper in-depth way. 
for this podcast. Obviously, I've heard the album hundreds and hundreds of times, but sitting properly trying to analyse stuff, um, it's definitely moved up more in my ranking. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, I'd say it's definitely one of them, without a doubt. It's, it's in the top three anyway for me. Paul, just a bunch of vaudeville in the musical tunes, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a mess. It's terrible. No, that, this is my favourite Queen album. I have said on the Queen 2 episode that I regard Queen 2 as being Queen's masterpiece in terms of the arrangements and all that. But I've got a personal investment in A Night of the Opera being that it was the first uh, long-playing record that I ever bought for £3.99. That would have been about 1984. Yeah, 1984. This album has got great affection from me. It's gone me through hard times in my life. It's like a, a comfort. It's just incredible being dispassionate. You know, if I take all that stuff out and just looking at it dispassionately, it's an absolute classic album with some incredible stuff on it. Just some absolute monumental tracks, even the the so-called vaudeville and all that. And the way these tracks are constructed is incredible. Um, this band, I don't think they were... They, they had any peers at, at this particular time. I think they were the best bunch of musicians around at that particular time, and this album's incredible. All right, so incredible album. For me, A Night of the Opera is... I think I've maybe got a slightly different relationship to the album than you guys. I think it's it's an album... I don't know if it's necessarily in my top three Queen albums. I think it's probably one of the best of the rest for me. Um, I think it's a it's a great piece of work. I don't think it's without its flaws, which I want to discuss with you guys later on, and you can shoot me down and and tell me I'm wrong. And <laughs> but I think you, you always I think it just depends what period you are in your life. You have different relationships with with albums, and this is an album for me that's been up and down throughout my entire time um, being a Queen fan. Um, and right now, it's sort of in the middle. It's not, it's not really shifting itself into the, you know, the top Queen albums for me. And you know, maybe I'll discuss a wee bit why later on. In order to not keep kissing Queen's arse on every single podcast, I'm trying to be objective, but not be objective to the point where um, I'm discarding my feelings for the album. These are still my real feelings. And I'm wanting to kind of look at it, take a step back, because we're all very close to Queen and all very close to these albums. So I'm trying to see it differently. And that's no, not to say that because you guys hold it maybe top three or, or, you know, in Paul's case, maybe number one, it's not to say that you guys aren't being objective about it. It's just, of course you are. So I don't mean that to sound um, patronising to you guys. Just for me, I think it's probably easy for me to be objective about this album than, than uh, some of the others. Joe, I'm going to fire over to you. Um, do you want to pick a track you want to start us off with? And let's let's get let's get we talk about one of the any the tracks that you want to mention here. May as well start with "Death on Two Legs," seeing as it is the first track on it, and as one of my favourite tracks on it as well. It's just it's a great opening to a record when that doom riff comes in. I mean, it's I mean it's so heavy, 
laughably heavy, actually. Mm. Um, it, can, it can rival any Black Sabbath riff ever. And then obviously it builds it builds up to this really grim start. And then obviously the piano comes in and it's very stark. And I just love the, the venom in the song. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just pure unbridled venom. It's just like mm-hmm. we don't we really don't care. But this is this is exactly what I'm gonna say about and they they weren't pulling any punches musically or lyrically in this. And it's really great music to back that up. It's really sinister mm-hmm. and it's vibe. I think Freddie's vocals are scathing on it as well. You can tell he's angry when he's singing it. You know what I mean? It's not just words on paper. He's, he's really, really telling you exactly how he feels at that moment. And obviously, with the history, we know why, because they were getting ripped off severely at that time in their career. But just everything about that, that track's just just pure power. It's, it's the perfect opening. Out of all the songs on that, it, it is the song that would open it, definitely, for me. Mm. So I think they, they nailed it. With yeah. that, with that, with that opening, whereas in maybe subsequent albums and stuff, they maybe you know, arguably, maybe they could have opened with that. Another song with this one, no, Death and Two Legs is the perfect opener. And again, it, it, it kind of scuts it. Although on the surface it may come across as a kind of straight, kind of heavier rock track, it's definitely get more. It's more in depth than that. There's a lot of really, really cool instrumentation in the track as well. And if you really listen to it, there's a lot of really cool piano stuff happening in there. Yeah, just a fantastic tune, start to finish. Yeah, perfect um, opener. Yeah, the, the the way it begins, you know that kind of arpeggiating piano thing, and yep. then it goes into the down down. Yeah, and, yep. and then after that, I don't know what May's doing, but he's picked, but he, it's as if he's raking the strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like yep. chaos. It's so it's yeah, and and this is we've said it before. These guys, in terms of being godfathers of heavy metal or whatever innovators who, who was doing this stuff in 1975 other than these guys you know and a lot of a lot of music when it's trying to convey like a you know an emotion especially if it's anger and all that before Freddie starts singing you know that this is this is angry and, <laughs> and all, you know kind of spiteful there's something dramatic happening here because you go through, you go from this beautiful piano thing into this doomy riff, and then the, the, the raking strings, and you're like, oh, oh shit, what's you know what's coming here, you know? And then you get these <laughs> these lyrics which convey that Freddie doesn't particularly like this guy very much because he's not getting paid. <laughs> they they're spiteful to an almost comic degree, but like all great heavy metal, the lyrics might seem a little bit ridiculous, but they're sung with such conviction that you're like, yes, I, I'm fucking with you, man. You know? That's that's weird, because yeah. I really don't see them as comical at all. I think it's just a guy, basically, like, if you met a guy, say you met Freddie in the in the pub, for example, and at that time in his career, it's pretty much it's bang on the money. There's not really any, you know, like, Freddie could have been argued, you could argue at that time Freddie was doing a lot of metaphors and stuff like that and that for that song to just be yeah, like it was, yeah. fuck the metaphors this it, is just was, uh, quite this is exactly I, I don't it's weird because I'm not saying you're wrong by all means you're not but I'm just saying I, I see it differently I see it as just like absolute blatant this is what's happening yeah I'm pissed I, I'm pissed off with this I, I, yeah it puts a smile on my face but I, oh, yeah, I do yeah. I, I, I absolutely understand the, what Freddie means but you know oh yeah uh, definitely the, the, the spirit behind the song and all that but 
dog with disease, you're the king of the sleaze and all that. It's just, yeah. it's just it, put, yeah, it puts yeah. a smile on my face, you know. And, totally. and but, but I say, as I say, it's sung with such conviction because all, all the great singers, especially in metal, have sung ridiculous lyrics, but they sing it with such conviction that you're like, yeah, I'm with mm-hmm. you, man. It's a great track, it's a great album opener. We go from that into some classic Noel Coward-esque stuff. What do you think about the piano playing in this album? Do you think that there's a there's been I wouldn't say an improvement, but the the playing is grander and more open and expressive than the other uh, albums? Ah, uh, yes, that's that's actually a good point. It's something I yeah. certainly picked up on the uh, list yeah. of the album. Maybe not in not in certainly the the way you you put it, Paul. But mm. um, I definitely it was it was noticeable to me uh, the piano playing, but just just. The, before I actually finish with that point, just on Death and Two Legs, you know, everything you're saying, guys, you've kind of nailed it for me as well. Um, you know, you know, lyrics are brutal, but they're, they're just, uh, it's kind of that conviction and, and the, the, the aggression in Freddie's voice is just like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. you know, as it's got that to it, you yeah. know. It's a, a, you know, just my scribblings here, I put it's a very stabby song. Do you think Freddie would have wrote um, this song about uh, the two guys you mentioned earlier, Dave, Don Arden or Peter Grant, given their <laughs> reputations? Freddie would have been found, you know, in a shallow grave somewhere, you know. Um, At least they broke no, legs. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, Freddie. Freddie was never short of short of balls, you know. He never That's at true. any point That's in his true. career. So, you know, but those, those I mean, both of those managers were tough, but they but they got the job done, and and they always had, you know, um, the the artists always got affection for those two managers, you know. So I it's suppose different circumstances, but artists, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, but no, it's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it would be, aye, that would be. That would be really ballsy. I'll <laughs> tell you something. About one of those guys. <laughs> I'll tell you something as well. It would be a horrifying thought to think that Sharon Osborne would have had anything to do with Queen in any capacity. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I sorry, Paul. Coming back to your your point about the piano playing, I there was a few things I picked up on it. Certainly in Love of My Life. What what actually what I actually thought about it? There was two things on the piano playing in it. One that. I thought Freddie was still very rhythmical in the song, given it's a ballad. And I thought mm-hmm. about Brian playing the piano in that song. Would have been softer and mm-hmm. potentially actually even suited the song more. I thought Freddie was still bashing away and he maybe could have just took it back a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is one bit, the, the second point, there is one bit where he does this really, um, oh, you know, I'm not a piano player, so I don't know exactly, but it's a run and it's a wee kind of instrumental, almost like a solo bit or a wee instrumental run, you know, it's like very orchestral. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's really just just an absolutely fantastic piece of music, that but So, not quite what you were saying, Paul, but there, there, was, a, there was a few things, certainly on that track, that I, I thought, Freddie's really bashing away on this, and, and it's quite a delicate song. It's kind of interesting. I hadn't really noticed it until, I think it was today when I was listening to it. I was like, you know, yeah. it's quite interesting. I quite, because, I quite like it. Because... Yeah. You like it that kind of way. I mean, the contrast, that's it. I mean, nice. yeah, yeah. I suppose that's that's you know because I think if Brian had played it, it would have it would have been softer. You know. Do you, th- um, do you think it is as Freddie's 
Jake, it's down to Freddie's actual fingering technique because he kind of clamps on the edges. Clamps on the edges. Where he said he doesn't yeah. arch his fingers over like yeah. you know you would. You know, I, someone teaching I, you would show you how. You know, I mean, who knows? So I think of, I think he just he yeah. just always seemed to to bash bash the piano. You know, yeah. I mean, he didn't always. Yeah. I mean, I'm not being disrespectful to him because you know he did he did have light and shade in his piano playing. But love of my life, I suppose we can we stay stay with that. We we just stay with that since we brought it up. Yeah, Paul, do you want to, do you want to talk to us about love of my life? How's that track for you? It's uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's a uh, on, on the face of a, a, a simple love song. I, I believe he wrote it for Mary Austin, who was the love of his life. On, on this album, it, it's, it's beautiful. The, the playing is... Now you mentioned it about the rhythm, rhythmic kind of quality that Freddie has. Yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. It's funny because when I was thinking about Love of My Life and thinking about the live version and how it became just an acoustic and Freddie singing, I think when they did that live, the song lost a lot of its beauty and power. Um, and and it, it did become something else. It was a crowd sing-along kind of thing and all that. But I think that the song was done a bit of a disservice uh, in the live area. Freddie just sitting at the piano. With the, yeah. I, I would have preferred that to, you know, by me picking chords. I think gents, I'm probably going to disagree with you on that. I, I think the acoustic thing potentially is more appealing to me. Love of My Life is a really, really good piece of work on the album, and I really like it. But can I be controversial? It doesn't blow me away, that song. It actually doesn't blow me away. I think, um, I think there was maybe a missed opportunity on it, and the missed opportunity was to actually get an orchestra in. Because I think an orchestra behind that would have made that sound absolutely phenomenal. And I think that's maybe where Queen, you know, Brian will do his mini orchestras with guitar and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do that. And, you know, I know it's the most expensive album ever made at that point, you know, mm-hmm. to maybe get an orchestra and, you know, they like, come on, look, you've spent enough, boys, you know. Um, but yeah. I think I think that song could have been massive with an orchestra behind it. I think it's kind of almost like they went halfway with it. And then they go all the way. So to, to for life to be stripped back to bare bones to me actually always makes makes more sense. That that's weird. You kind of answered what I was going to going to ask you anyway, and it was that it's weird that you're saying that it should be. You feel that it should have been more overblown and on the record, but yet you prefer the stripped down version live, which yeah. is kind of a bit. That's kind of weird to me to hear that because it's like, do you know what I mean? It's two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So but it's like in, the say, middle, yeah. in the middle, you think it's lacking, but it's either really good stark or it's just exactly. really good blown it's, up. So it's, it's it, needs to, it, needs, it needs to go all, I think it, it should have probably went all out there. Because I think, obviously, the you know, we talk, you can go back to the rhythmical player of Freddie and stuff. It's kind of like it's going for big, but the song doesn't sound big enough um, in terms of just, just filling it all out. Or just strip it right back to bare bones, just piano and, and voice. or, or So That's, I... I, I, I just think it's. Kind of I just think they went halfway with it. I just think you, when I hear it, obviously you've got the harp in there. You know, you've got there's a lot of things going on. I know this doesn't make much sense to you. I just think you you go all the way and and make it make it massive, make it a big orchestral number, or strip it right back to bare bones. That's that. I think that's to me. I think they went somewhere in the middle. <laughs> As I said before, I might listen back to this in a year ago. 
what the fuck are you talking about, David? You know, I might, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's just how, uh, how it's kind of sitting in the now. It's never been one of my favourite Queen songs. It's never even been my, one of my favourite songs on the album. But I think it is a really, a really good song. It's really, the melody in it's really nice. And, um, you know, the, like I say, the run Freddie does is, is fantastic. Well, well, we've finally reached the stage where there's a Queen song that Queen were too restrained on. I think it's the best song Queen ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you, David, and I'm going to be honest, man, you're confusing me. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no, that's cool. I mean, that's why we're here, man. This makes it interesting. But um, for me, I think the song has kind of got everything it kind of needs. For me, I, I can't hear it being any more grandiose in my head because I think it's it's a very delicate song. It's no, it's not as delicate as maybe it should be. So either you dial it right back and make it delicate, or you go all the way if you want to make it sound grandiose. You know, I feel maybe, it's come, it'd be caught in a half of your house a wee bit with it. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying yeah, yeah. about the whole, yeah. maybe it could have been played quieter or softer, you know, dynamically and stuff like that. But I'll be yeah. honest, I'll be honest, I've been listening to that album for over 30 years of my life. And even when I was kind of analysing it, and I'm not saying you're wrong, you're not you're not wrong for no, having an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. But I, I've never once, even, I never once really, it's weird. Again, we're all going to see different things, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Which that's is really interesting. That's what it's all about, and that's why we're here mm-hmm. to talk about it. I love the song. I really do love the song. I think it's a great song. But again, that could literally just be Freddie singing, and it would be amazing because for me, that uh, song is yeah, Fred, yeah. is Freddie's voice. Yeah. Um, it could it could have been playing it on mm-hmm. string string and rope or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It could be playing it on a, anything, and it would mm-hmm. have still I'd have still loved it if his voice was on it because it's amazing. Yeah. So for me, it's always I mean, been think, his vocals. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I kind of I know it's cheese. It might sound cheesy and stuff, but I really, I, I can I kind of really like the lyrics in it as well. I mean, they're, they're, mm-hmm. I mean they're, they're, they are a bit che- cheesy, but again, Queen being like Paul said earlier, and singing it with such conviction. If somebody somebody else had sang those those types types of lyrics, it maybe sounded a bit kind of uh, that's a bit borderline cheese. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we talked about Freddie singing uh, it. Yeah. So, I mean, we so talked well, about. Uh, we talked about before with Freddie not being literal with his lyrics and obviously definitely too late he's literal. <laughs> and I think in this yeah. song he is as well, he's quite out there, he's he's not hiding yeah. anything, it's it's pretty much there yeah. you go. It's it's you know about love and it's you know it's Absolutely. exploring that and you know in the in the most obvious way. Um so that's interesting, you know, the fact he wasn't cloaking his, his feelings this yeah. time. I think it's also worth mentioning the the bass playing in that song. I really paid close attention because it is so sparse in places and stuff like that. It's really, really excellent bass playing. It's really dynamic, but he's playing a lot of really like high stuff in the bass as opposed to like lower, you know, be with the maybe associated bass player playing. And he only, he, he cuts in and out. He's playing so certain parts he doesn't play. And then in other parts of this place, it's just, it's really, I just thought it was really, really smart bass playing as well. Just, he was almost like, not using the bass in a traditional sense because it would have just sounded silly. Because I was thinking, what if, what if there was bass over more of this? And I thought, it just been, it just did exactly what the song required. And I just think it does a lot of really nice, tasteful parts and stuff like that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of delicacy in his playing. He's totally underrated bass player. The guy's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's move on. Let's talk about um, other tracks because there's a lot. 
really loaded first side, actually. A lot of songs on yeah. the first side. Uh, Mike obviously because sure, obviously there's two big two big one the big long ones in this the side two, you know. Paul, um, do you want to pick a track? Um, any any particular ones you want to talk about that stick out for you? So the last track we spoke about was a a love song written written to a, a particular lady in uh, Freddie's life. Um, the next song is about the lady in John Deacon's life. You're my best friend. Uh, to me, this is just. One of the most perfect pop songs I've ever heard in my life. It's beautiful. John, obviously, uh, influenced by uh, R&B and all that soul and all that kind of stuff. So he uses. I, I've seen I've seen it mentioned that it's a Fender Rhodes electric piano, and I've seen it mentioned as a Wurlitzer electric piano. Doesn't doesn't matter, but um, electric piano. Uh, so you've got guys like Billy Preston, late sixties, using using one, and uh, Ray Charles. I think maybe that you know it's been a a deliberate choice by uh, John to play play one instead of just a, a you know a piano to get that that kind of sound that vibe. And uh, Freddie has said in the past that he loves singing John's songs, and he gives a, he gives an absolutely great vocal performance. And I think I'm sure John was was pleased with where where I'm doing the doing doing his words justice. That you know there's there's other great songs that John did, Spread Your Rings especially, beautiful as well, but this is my favourite of favourite song of John's, just beautiful. And of course, uh, you've got to mention Roger's backwards fill thing, but he starts off in the floor toms and comes on round to the snare instead of going the other way. Quite innovative, I, I don't think anyone else would have thought of that, and it just shows what a great percussionist this guy was. Not just a run-of-the-mill drummer. This guy was incredible, and they were all incredible musicians. You know, you're my best friend. Great track. I totally agree with Paul. It's a pretty much a flawless pop song. I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, right? But it just occurred to me again, just because you know we've been doing this. It's a, it's obviously a John Deacon song, and it may I often wonder that John Deacon songs. He wasn't a singer, so. Did he, do you think he wrote the melodies? That's the thing so, that that's, yeah. that's the thing that I was uh, uh, and and if and if that is the case, if he wrote the melody for that, the guy's an even bigger genius than he gets credit for because mm. the the actual vocal melody in that is amazing, man. I mean, it's it's could arguably say that John was even back then, you know, in the band's kind of infancy, if you like. Maybe a better pop songwriter than the rest of the members of that band at that point, because I mean that's that mm-hmm. song's like that is like you said, Paul. It's flawless. It's again, it's another song. It, it could very well be looked upon as being cheesy. Yeah, but it, but, mm-hmm. but it really, but it really doesn't come across like that because yeah. Freddie's singing. Where, but again, yeah, and they can, a pure can pure conviction. But I, I, I don't mean that as a disrespect to the, to the lyrical context. I, I do think the lyrics are good. They're kind of childlike. They're kind of, and I think John's stuff is very childlike. You know, like you said, spread your wings and spread your wings. But obviously, we'll get to that. But that again, it's 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 very much direct. Everything's very direct. It, it writes in and almost like a way a, a child would write things. But and again, that will be leaning more to the the, the pop fan. Because it's probably easier to digest, 
as usual, totally agree with you boys. Well, maybe not in this podcast, right? You know, I've got a bit of disagreement so far. But uh, yeah, you're my best friend. Absolutely brilliant song. Just perfect. Aye, perfect pop song, as Joe said. Freddie's vocals are so bloody smooth on it. Probably the first time you hear how smooth he can be as a singer. Be able to sing that soulful stuff. You know, as we flashes it maybe on uh, Sheer Heart Attack. But definitely on, on that particular track, you know, Freddie really comes into his own. There's lots of wee bits I love about the song, even just a really simple electric piano bit, um, the wee descend a bit. Dun, 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 dun. Just that wee bit, it just, it is, it's one of these tracks I, as, as a as a young, youngster, being a Queen fan, it just kind of passed me by maybe, but the older I got, the, the more I, I really liked that track. And um, it's, yeah, I think it's one of the, in terms of the, the, the pop songs that Queen wrote, um, I think it's one of the best. It's definitely up there. Mm, um, one of the absolutely. best. Certainly in the top ten, I think. Like, it's it's a it's a beautiful song. I absolutely as Joe says, credit to, to, to John for, for that composition. I know the, the, the band usually pulled together to, to see through an individual's composition and, and make it work, um, in terms of you know an overall piece, but um absolute credit to, to John on that, you know, playing the playing the, the uh, electric piano on it and uh, there's one thing if you if you get the chance, um, you know, listeners out there, if you're not already, and you know someone with a five point one system, or you've got one yourself, try and get hold of uh, the United Opera BTS mix uh, of the album, the five point one mix of the album, because you hear so much more, you know, and 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 one of the things I picked up on, uh, you're my best friend, is a claps. Every second beat there's a clap, and I it right. wasn't until I actually heard the five point one mix. I, I didn't notice that. Really? It, was in the, it was in the rear speakers. You just hear a clap every second right. beat. Cool. And uh, it's things like that, you know, it's just, you know, and obviously Queen's music is, you know, we talked, we talked about it in the last podcast, the cinematic quality of it. And, that, you know, if there's any band that's suited to surround sound, it's, it's Queen. Joe, do you, want to, do you want to pick a track? The other obvious glaring, or glaringly obvious one would be the Prophet song. That isn't just like my my favourite song on the album, but it, it might it's very well in my top five Queen songs. Period. Yeah, for obvious reasons, I mean, you just need to listen to the composition of it. It's so well structured in that the middle section as well with the, the vocals and stuff. I mean, it might even be more impressive than Bohemian Rhapsody for me personally. Obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody is probably a more like accomplished song. I understand that, but I just think that that whole middle part of that song is is so ahead of its time, and I don't think I've ever really heard anybody even try to replicate something like that. It's not just doing harmonies; it's it's building, it's building upon each other, and it's just so clever how they, they did that whole session. It's quite interesting as well because it's a Brian May composition, yet that whole maybe like two minutes in the middle or whatever it is, it's just all vocals. It's absolutely stunning. The lyrics as well, the lyrics are excellent in that song. Really dark, and I think that that gets something I think maybe you know that we you know you know, like we're talking about uh, my best friend and stuff like that being a very pop song and you know, very childlike and it's just so weird how they can just flip completely. Like not even just through the style of the music, but even the concept vocally and it's just so so it's like it could be complete Two completely different bands, and and that song's just such a strong indicator that Queen 
really well the masters of diversity and this song it's just like so dark it's so there's so much going on and it. it's really full Brian May's guitar playing is excellent on it as well it's really really dark like kind of it's almost very bluesy but it's like really kind of dodgy kind of dark blues sort of vibe and for me you know the, the whole Led Zeppelin comparison that, that Queen got in the early years Led Zeppelin couldn't write this you couldn't even compare Led Zeppelin to that that song in particular because it's just like you could like say, oh, you know, they're trying to rip them off, but that's so much, so much smarter and so much more dense. And in my opinion, than anything that Led Zeppelin can do, so well played. Everything's like, especially the rhythm section as well in that song. It's so tight. It's like you listen to every 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 bass drum with John's bass, and everything hits it exactly. It's, everything is. Boom on the beat! It's so so tightly played, and I think um, I I think like the rhythm section in Queen gets overlooked. I think everybody gets overlooked in Queen, and yeah. obviously, shit, yeah. I think um, Freddie, and as much as I love Freddie, but obviously, I understand Freddie being who he was. You know, big personality, amazing vocalist, amazing songwriter. And, you know, we all know this, but I mean, like the rhythm section in Queen was tight, man. Like. So tight, and in that song, it's so heavy. You know, you could you could maybe feel like you listen to some seventies records, and you can sometimes feel it fluctuating in speed just a little bit. With that, it's not. It's just like yeah. it's so it's so grinding, and it's just on. It's just on tempo and feel. It doesn't go up. It doesn't come down. It's just like it's almost like they had like an internal metronome or something in that track. It's just really. It's just a great song. It's so heavy, so adventurous. I don't know what Freddie was. It must have been really angry when they're on that record because, again, the vocal performance is searing on that. It's just like singing, which you can hear his voice breaking a lot yeah. in that song. And uh, I think that's one of the first times you'd really heard rasping in Freddie's voice properly. Yeah, and then, obviously, after this record, it became more apparent that that was kind of how, probably through touring and stuff like that, obviously, you know, continuous touring, your voice, it takes its toll for the worst, but sometimes it makes it sound even better, and I think. Queen albums after this point, Freddie's vocals really became amazing because I think he was starting to get that that broken edge to his voice, that that rasp when he went into the high registers that he didn't really have that much on the on the first three records. That uh, for me, it's the it's all about the vocals. This song, it's it's and and obviously the weight that the, the song has, it's fantastic. Just on Freddie, I think that it was around about this time he got the nodules, wasn't mm-hmm. it, in his throat, and mm-hmm. obviously he had. You know, other yeah. things kind of thing. So he was always dealing with that. I think that's exactly what gave gave it an and you know, extra edge. You know that that, yeah. that raspiness, that ag- aggression. You know when he needed to. Prophet song is is be no surprise to any any the listeners um, who who followed us through the um, the previous podcast that you know this is going to be one of our highlights. But it's probably the highlight for most Queen fans on this album. I would say and phenomenal track. And Joe talking about the lyrics. Maybe you guys know this. It was a dream that Brian May had, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, he, and he converted that into his lyrics. Um, it, was, it was actually while he was in hospital, um, recovering right. from that. That uh, the, the, you know the, the problems he had during the Sheer Heart Attack album. That's Interesting. When, uh, that's when the um, I so maybe a bit of a fever dream, even you know, um, that yeah. turned into the song uh, on the classic uh, albums. Brian talks about the song a lot, and he and he mentions the fact that he used that drop D tuning. Joe, tell us how important um, the drop D tuning is to 
to people in extreme metal, people in hardcore, people in punk. Drop D is like, you know, everything like you like you just said, man, it's like everything from a band like a band like Helmet, for example. You know, they were a kinda post hardcore band that came out in the kind of late eighties, early nineties and stuff like that. And they, they played in Drop D, my own band, Man Must Die. I mean, we've got four albums out. Everything we've ever written is in Drop D. But it's like it's it's a kind of happy medium for me. One interesting observation. You you mentioned the the middle section, Joe, with the the vocal, the, you know, the tape loop vocal, yeah, uh, harmony yep, yep. thing. It's interesting that it's a vocal thing and not a guitar thing. Yeah, that's yeah. Given, given that it's Brian's song, yep. He could have just you know he he could have went he could have done a Brighton rock or something Brighton like rock that type yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he didn't because he's always serving the song. It's not about yeah. him or showing off or. Whatever yep. the song needs that's best is what goes in. The same goes for all these guys. That's what makes them such great composers and everything. I mean, don't get me wrong. They obviously thought a lot about what they wanted in songs and all that. But I think pretty much at this point in their career, uh, walking down the tape was absolutely what should have went there, you know. It was all about the song and the composition rather than yep. any, any particular individual showing off or yeah, like that, you know. yeah, but, yeah. Again, it's a, I think I mentioned on the previous podcast about the kind of team spirit Queen had uh, at yeah. that point in their career when they were pulling together for the benefit of the song. And, you know, obviously the arguments as you talk about, you know, what single goes out first and all the rest of it and whose song gets prompt, you know, prominency on the, 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 the album and all the rest of it, obviously all day. But when it came to actually just getting the song together, you could see that they were all just. It was um, they're all together and then achieving that goal. Things about the Prophet song as well. Yeah, I just uh, totally Freddie's way at the top of his range at that point in time. Yep. You know, um, mm-hmm. really, really right up there. I think the other thing that's interesting is obviously you hear this actually quite a lot in the album, where a lot of the harmonies are just Freddie, and also that whole yep. section is yep. just Freddie. It's mm-hmm. not the, it's yep. not the whole band. Yep. You know, part of me would be curious to hear the actual whole band do that. That's that middle section just to see what it sounds like, but yeah, not yeah. it's not saying it's current guys. It's it, it's it doesn't fulfil its need. Of course, it does. Yeah. It sounds it sounds amazing, but it'd be interesting. Yeah. Just 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 like Queen fans curiosity here. They, they absolutely you know, the three of them do that section, you know, and you can you know, the you know, the prophet. You can see him standing there and you know on mm, the steps yeah. and all that, and the moonlit stare and all this kind of stuff. Again, very very kind of visual lyrics. You know, you can picture the scene and. A phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal song, and yeah, it's, it's got to be one of the one of the the best uh, Queen tracks. And I know um, from uh, again from this the same documentary about uh, Night the Opera, Brian was working on that, and uh, they they actually had the whole album done. The Prophet song was the last one to come together, and they were playing the album for you know for the press, and the Prophet song still wasn't ready. So what actually got played to the the press was an unfinished version of the Prophet song. And apparently, according to Roger, Kenny Everett got hold of the unfinished version of the Prophet song and actually played it on the radio. <laughs> so really? there is a version that went out there, an unfinished version of the Prophet song, and Kenny Everett, obviously, the, the very famous, you know, story about you, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know? And yeah, he's, he, he was absolutely, the, the, he was totally the man. Uh, according to Roger, I said Brian was very pissed off, which I could I could. Rightfully so. Exactly, it's still finished, and he's 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 thrown out there. 
Uh, but no, just a wee bit of background on it. I think it's a yeah, just an definitely one of the highlights of the album. I'm going to bring up "I'm in Love with My Car," um, mm. another kind of big track on the album. Sometimes you struggle to find the words for Queen songs, and it's just it's pretty much perfect. "I'm in Love with My Car." There's nothing about it that I think is should be done differently, or uh, maybe maybe just that wee bit could have been. No, nah, it's, it's it, to me it is just. It's just perfect. I love it. I love Roger's voice. I love the fact that it it's kind of off the chain. His vocals are kind of like that, mm. almost like over the top at times. But I love that. It's like that he takes them too fast. And he's like, you know, it's just like, like, hi, go for it, big man. You know, it's mm. it's and and proving again, he's things, a great vocalist. Yeah, totally. And, he, and, he, and he's got power behind his voice as well. You know, yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, obviously the. The, the joke between O'Brien May thought it was a joke. You know, Roger yeah. says, I'm, "This is my song. Ah, uh, you're taking a piss, aren't you?" You know. So I, I mean, the lyric even told my girl, "I'd have to forget her rather buy me a new car." But you know, you know, almost like we were saying that they, they can have maybe childlike innocence of like you know you're my best friend. This is almost like innocent in a different way. Teenager. You know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just like you know. Yeah. Um, so even the, even with the lyrics being as ridiculous in many ways, they, they really work. And they just I wouldn't change any of the lines. I wouldn't even no. change what the song was called or what the song was about. You know, and no. have a different a different lyrics over it. It's just perfect. And the one thing I really like about it is um, the kind of almost banjo guitar sound. Um, it's not like a normal Brian's not playing. I actually thought maybe Roger played guitar on it. But I saw something recently, I read something recently suggested it was actually Brian that played on it. Mm. Just because it was such a different tone from Brian. It's a really banjo-y, kind of jangly kind of banjo-y guitar sound in the back. Which just, I think, really suits it. You know, if it, if it, maybe if it had been really amped up and, you know, the traditional heavy Brian sound, it might have been a wee bit maybe too much, I don't know. Or maybe it just not suited it, I, I don't know. But I really, I, I, back to my point, it's perfect. I wouldn't change anything about it. It's mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it, it's definitely one that gives me a smile every time I hear it. And um, Roger playing it live and and, and singing it live, I, that, I always love. You know, when you're watching the, the old gigs and stuff, it's always a highlight for me as well. So. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great track. To me, it, it sounds a bit more expansive than uh, Roger's previous uh, yeah. efforts. Modern Times, Rock and Roll, The Lose on the End, Tenement Funster, and and this it just sounds bigger and more expansive. That's and a really good point, actually. Kind of looser good. and freer, yeah. in, a, in a sense, whereas those other songs were kind of tight and, you know, punky or whatever. But this is a, this is like a proper big production, heavy, you know, not quite metal, but heavy rock song. And, yeah, it, it, it breathes and... and like David said, that there would be nothing. There's nothing there to criticise really at all, and the certainly in any Queen concert uh, film from the seventies or you know the, even the eighties or whatever, um, that is a him, him performing that is a highlight because um, you know there's drummers who who sing, you know Don Henley and all that, but he he's keeping a four four beat while he's singing. Rogers doing all kinds of fills and yeah, singing I- as well. And being able I to talked hold about his breath that. and all that, and, you know, he incredible. Because it's a rolling, yeah, beat. Do yeah. Do, 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 do. 
yeah, doing all that and singing. It keeps rolling. Know. It just keeps. It's because yeah. it plays it on that again that documentary. You know the, the classic yeah. albums and just plays it and it, it, it's it's a great beat. It, it sounds really simple, but it's even hear it on its own. It's no. It's 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 simple, but it's it's interesting. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so and it just and it just looks like the coolest guy in the <laughs> world. You know when he's doing that, man. Joe, any thoughts on? The motor song. <laughs> the motor song. Just everything you everything you said, I love it. It's one of my favourite songs on the record, without a doubt. And I love it just because it's just there's no it's nothing pretentious. I'm not not that I'm saying that that you know that's a bad thing because Queen have like it can be looked upon as pretentious songs, but they're, they're amazing. All about that song is it's it just kind of play, plays to the kind of the kind of guy in you, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean? That, yeah. that, but then Roger's songs tend to do that anyway, you know what I mean? He, he kind of writes it from a very, very lad sort of, it's just a great, it's just a, it's just a really good, for me, Roger's songs are always good time songs. They're always, yeah. they're pretty much yeah. always good time songs, man. They're like, you know what I mean? They, they get your blood pumping, you know what I mean? They make you feel good. They bring you up. Um, again, dynamically, where it's placed in the album as well, it's kind of in, kind of interesting, you know what I mean? Because it's like the third song in, and obviously the, the song before it's uh, "Lazy on a Sunday Afternoon," which is kind of quirky and kind of weird, and it's very short as well. So I mean that, and it's good to just to just give you a wee touch of kind of quirky weirdness and bang back into That's a it. good kind of yep. into a good solid rock song. That and and again the drumming's phenomenal in it. I mean, like I've watched. Many, many live, you know, gigs from Queen throughout the years, bootlegged. You know, we all have on YouTube or whatever now that obviously you're able to, to get these things now. The guy never makes a mistake. He's such a tight drummer. And there's loads of really cool stabs in the middle of the beat that he does, like you're yeah, saying, the fills. Yeah. You yeah. could have co- coasted on keeping that beat rolling. Yeah. Just to, but, mm-hmm. but, 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 but he's going, but, 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 but he's, he's doing all this really cool symbol grab stuff. Yeah. He's doing a lot of cool shit in the hi-hats. He's coming on and off the hi-hats. Guy's just a, f- you could arguably say uh, that maybe Roger was one of the most, maybe second to Freddie, the most well-rounded musician. I don't know if that, maybe that's controversial, but the reason I say that is because one, he's a fantastic drummer. Two, he's a f- fantastic singer. Three, the guy could play guitar. May not have been an amazing guitar player, but he could play guitar competently. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the guy covered. I mean, if I, well, look at look at this for example. Out of everybody, in my in my opinion, you might may differ, but in my opinion, out of everybody that had the Queen solo record, Roger had the best solo records, hands yeah. down. Absolutely, Hands down, yeah. like Fun in Space is better than Mr. Bad Guy by a country mile. Uh, it's mm-hmm. better than anything that Brian made. It's better than Starfleet. Okay, Starfleet was put out as a kind of half-ass kind of jam, which is, yeah. I enjoy. It's, it's good. It's not a properly formed album, but but I mean, Roger, I, I've always thought Roger was a, a, a extremely um, amazing musician, but very well-rounded as well. Not to say, I mean, Freddie may very well have been able to play drums, um, you know, I mean, Brian may be able to play drums, probably can to a, to a basic level. But if you look at the amount of stuff that that Roger did, mm. did in Queen, he did loads of stuff. The vocals, the drumming was fantastic. 
he played guitar in a lot of songs, a lot of his own songs as well. He had his own specific style. So that that was basically what I was going to say about that. But yeah, Love in My Car, uh, amazing song. I I mean I no I absolutely I think um, I suppose it could be contentious what you're saying obviously about Roger you know you know when you look at Brian Brian can play piano Brian can play guitar Brian can yeah, sing yeah. I you can argue that can, I don't think he's a better singer than Roger right enough um, you know even, that's what I mean I mean he's extremely good at it yeah yeah I mean but I think I think it's I, I mean, I, I, obviously it's not a pissing competition about who was the most talented in Queen and no, it shouldn't yeah, be because yeah. the whole four of them made the band what it was, I suppose. Paul, do you want to, do you want to pick us a track then? Would it, would it be possible if I stuck two together? I would like to stick Lazing on a sun, Sunday afternoon and Seaside Rendezvous together. Because they're, they're actually quite similar. They're, um, they're yeah. sung in the, the style of Noel Coward, who is a you know, famous kind of English wit, eccentric kind of guy. So both Lazen and Seaside are, are great tracks on their own. Uh, they're, they're quite short pieces, um, obviously done in a, a pastiche of music hall, you know, that type of thing. Um, the, their position in the album is quite interesting because they're, they're almost like palate cleansers. So you've got um, Death in Two Legs, then you've got Lazen on a, a Sunday afternoon, and then you're straight into I'm in love with my car. Um, you've got Sweet Lady, then you've got Seaside Rendezvous, and then you've got Prophet Song. So they're, they're sitting in between kind of rocking, heavy, heavy songs. Like a little, you know, just a, a little bit of lightness, light and shade and all that. And it's just, they're, they're just pieces of English eccentricity. They're not the Prophet Song or Bohemian Rhapsody or by any manner of means, but I do, uh, I do enjoy listening to them. I, I don't skip them or anything like that. I think they're fine. I've got a few things to talk about those two particular songs. Most of Seaside Rendezvous, but Joe, before I go, is there anything you wanted to come in on on that? They're kind of non-offensive. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike them at all. I think they're good for what they are. But again, they're, 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 they're especially um, Lazing on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, that's really short. It's just like a little kind of interlude sort of thing. I don't really see it as an actual proper song. Not taking away for the, the instrumentation, I think it's excellent. It's again, it's capturing that style of music perfectly and pull it off so well. In fact, that it annoyed some folk that we were talking about before we <laughs> earlier, and um, that will remain nameless, um, but a famous person from a prog rock band. Um, but anyway, so I mean, yeah, so. Absolutely, the, the skill involved in doing those tracks, whether I think they're great songs or not, besides the point, I think they're very, very um, they're accomplished in what they've done. They did, they did exactly what they set out to do, obviously, and they did it well, they nailed it. Lazing on a Sunday afternoon is my least favourite. I prefer Seaside Rendezvous. I think Seaside Rendezvous is a, a, a more accomplished song for me personally. I just think it's better. I just think it's better. But again, the two of them fit perfectly together, so it's kind of hard to be objective. I, I actually think the reverse is true. I prefer losing on, on a Sunday afternoon to Seaside Rendezvous. Oh, um, you're <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go again. Uh, just obviously, talking about losing on a Sunday afternoon, I think, um, you know, how they recorded the vocal was quite interesting on that, how they, they put a mm. set of headphones into a metal can. Yeah. And then put the microphone up to that to get that really megaphone type sound. You know, yeah, the old, it works. It works. You know, it's, it's yeah. some really nice, uh, nice wee technique. 
I'm kind of glad you put the two of them together, Paul, because I think it's I think it makes sense because they're both of that you know cut from the same cloth, I guess. Yeah, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'll, I actually in isolation, both of the songs are fine. Yeah, I I, I like them. Well, we're listening to this album in 2020, in hindsight, having looked at Queen's entire career. But I always like to think of the guy that just bought the album at the time and what he's thinking. And and mm-hmm. I always put myself in those shoes. And again, this isn't to inject controversy. or It's just I'm thinking, right, so on Sheer Heart Attack, we had, uh, you know, we had uh, Leroy Brown, which we discussed in the last podcast. I think it's a phenomenal piece of music. Yeah, and just totally. so well, so yep. well executed. Then you get to Night of the Opera. And on the first side, you've got two vaudeville music hall songs. That side ends on Seaside Rendezvous. I'm probably thinking as a Queen fan, right, what are you doing? What is it? There's two songs, two of these kind of novelty, you know, music hall songs. What are you playing at? Definitely. So I think mm-hmm. I think there's definitely, I think that's one of the reasons why for me, I Night of the Opera isn't in my top Queen albums because I think there are throwaway tracks on it and those two are definitely those. It's kind of interesting what you said Paul about palate cleansers because I never thought about it in that way. I think as a Queen fan after side one finished I would be a wee bit concerned. I would be thinking to myself, are they actually going down, right are they going to go down now go down a road where they're actually just going to piss about in every album? You're going to get these daft songs because I think yeah. what you what you got. I think got, they get it back and side two though. Aye, I agree. You get again, yeah. again. That, yeah. Obviously, that's why I'm I'm explicitly saying the end of end of side side one. Yeah. Um. Because I'm thinking, why would you have two songs? Joe rightly said, "Lazing on a Sunday afternoon is very short," and I like that about it. It's that that we. It's almost like a wee segue thing. Yeah. A wee kind of like mm-hmm. you, Paul. You say palate cleanser. I totally totally agree with that, and I really like it. It's quirky, as Joe said. It's you know, he's, been, he's, been, he's basically been the devil in the first song and then second, yeah. you know, he's been the perfect English gentleman on the second song. That's where I think it should have it should have been left. <laughs> the album should have went on and, yep. right, that's, that's your wee quirky song. That's it. But then you get Seaside Rendezvous and you're thinking... There's another thing on that as well. I'm, I'd be starting to think to myself, right, you did Brighton Rock... It, what, what's this obsession with you know Pearside stuff and all that? You know, I mean, is, is there? You know, I know they were written. You know, Brian May wrote Brighton Rock and Freddie wrote Seaside Rendezvous. I would be thinking that you're kind of repeating yourself as well, not in exactly mm. the same way. I don't think it's a bad song. I think it's very well put together, and I think you know, again, the, pr- the production techniques with Roger and Freddie had thimbles and they were doing the tap dancing on the the, the desk. Aye, and that's, yeah. that. You know, these yeah, these are and Roger and Freddie pr- pretending they were a brass band and all that, taking the piss and really yeah. enjoying themselves. I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm not gonna deny them that. But at the same time, as a fan, I'm probably pretty concerned about where Queen are going at the end of the first side. And again, I always I, the reason I mentioned the 2020 thing is because we're see, we're, we're looking back, but we have got that album sitting in the context of Queen's entire career. So we know what yeah. came after that, and what came after that, and what came after that. So there's no worry. Yeah, there's exactly. no worry there. 100%. So that's yeah. maybe why these songs are maybe a bit of an easier ride. 
I, I, just in a wee side note, the, the next time Freddie does No Coward is on I'm Going Slightly Mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which is I'm, it's I'm far, gonna, probably far superior to these I'm two gonna, tracks. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll and, and it's also got... Mad. Yeah. And it's also got, I I don't know if it's because we we knew what was happening with Fred at the time and all that, but it's got a darker edge, edge, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it's got more meaning to it, yeah. And I think that's it, that's the thing about Queen, and I think, I think we've talked so far, for those guys that haven't listened to the the podcast, this is maybe your first podcast, you maybe know really, you know, you're new to to our style and our thinking, but um, one thing we obviously praise Queen on is their diversity and and the fact that... Styles in yeah. and, and yes, the absolute balls to be able to try different styles and do different things. But for me, it just doesn't give them a free pass just because they're doing something no. different. You know, there's probably some guy sitting with his headphones in the office right now hearing me say this and ready to swear, and maybe his boss is going to give him into trouble because he's got to call me so many different <laughs> things. You know, that's the point. I, you know, we said it from the start, we're not here to kiss Queen's ass, but equally, I'm not here to inject controversy for the sake of it. It's just, no, you're not, you're just, you're just having an opinion. You just have an opinion. I don't even think you even really need to explain that. An yeah, opinion is a, but, an opinion 100%. No, absolutely. I don't even really see them as full songs, you know. Right. I, I, I think yeah. they're just like, you know, Sabbath used to have, have like, a, a, you know, acoustic interludes like Orchid and. All the other ones I can't remember now, you know, guitar effect things, you know, in between tracks, and you're just like, ah, whatever. Um, I, I, I kind of see them like that. And I regard these as being being like that, you know. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not offended by them. And, I, and, I, and yeah. as I've said before, I love this album, and I don't, I don't skip them generally because because they're very short and. Yeah, no, no um, in truth, I, I don't skip them myself, actually, in fairness. <laughs> I, I always listen to the, the full album, and, the, you know, there's nothing on it that I'm thinking, oh, I just, I, 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 oh, I can't actually listen. There's nothing on that like that at all, so, you know, I yeah. don't want anyone to misunderstand me when I say that. Let's let's tackle Sweet Lady, then, because I know between mm. the three of us, we all kind of feel the same about this song. After, like, properly listening to it, I mean, I kind of... Again, this will probably be quite controversial to some folk, you know, us being metal fans and stuff and thinking, yeah, we're going to like all the heavy songs and stuff. It's actually one of my least favourites on the album after the well, after the two songs that we just mentioned there because it's one of the few times that I can, I can actually say, from my point of view, that Queen kind of bolted stuff to get together. Like uh, there's parts of that song that, that really jar, like, and that's unusual for Queen because we've praised them up to this point about being flawless with, with you know, the way that they structure songs and stuff like that and the flow. Where that song is, is a real, the, the, the actual, I actually made some notes here because it, it, it actually occurred to me that it's kind of a weird thing to do. And see the, 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 the verse get into the chorus, mm. the drum beat comes in at a really weird point. The, the drum beat change comes in at a really strange point. It comes in, I think it comes in quarter of the way through what would be the start of the chorus riff. And I think that's what what really makes that song jar. If you go back and listen to it, check yeah, it out. Check it out. Joe, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, where did, where, where did, because I was like, why does this, why does this sound so disjointed to me, this part? Comes in that guitar riff, that do, 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 do. Yeah, and, and, and then his drum beat changes. It makes me think, it makes me think that if, if they had just changed, if he had changed into that, that, that really different beat right when that guitar changed riff, 
it would probably yeah. gel better. But for that reason, it's it's just it's just a really that's it's really uncharacteristic for Queen to have such a jarring kind of weird. I don't know if they maybe because I know the drum beats are kind of almost shuffle kind of jazz, yeah, kind of jazz thing. So, so I don't know. I, I don't know if they're maybe maybe try to get a bit smart with a, you know, with a, with a, the, the structure. You know, maybe because it's a kind uh, of jazz, that, almost a jazz section. Uh, kind of, yeah, three so, four time. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's yeah. maybe they've tried to get a bit kind of kind of jazzy it's with been, the, the, uh, where 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 they change and the, 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 the you know the, the transition goes. But that aside. The, it's kind of un, it's un, it's half baked. The, the song seems kind of half yeah. baked to me, and like the last like minute, minute and a half or whatever it is, it's just a jam. I, I, it's a, it's actually the most enjoyable part of the song for me is the uh, last bit when it's, when good, it's a guitar. It's good. Yeah, it's good playing on it. Yeah, yeah, the playing's yeah, good yeah. on it. Yeah. Start, but drum starts yeah. speeding up as well. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Uh, everybody starts coming in, mm-hmm. and Brian, but Brian May's playing and stuff. He's playing a lot of really cool stuff and cool, yeah. cool uh, run, uh, cool yeah, kind of exactly. kind of weird note choices and stuff like that. But the song as a whole is—it's just—it's just the, the, the kind of the parts are good. I just don't think they're really well put the, put the, together. I think that's the issue with that song for me. Can please. someone tell me, please? If you guys don't know, somebody write in their t- tweeters or whatever. Can you get cheese that's sweet? Ah, this is that's exactly the bit I was I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, the ah, cheese bit. No it's like what the. F- Anyway, you, I bet that you call me uh, sweet like I'm some kind of cheese waiting on a shelf. It's stupid. It's stupid lyrics, man. Which is weird because Brian wrote the prophet song, which uh, is kind of that genius idiot sort of thing. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, like how, yeah, how yeah. can how can you write that? How can you write that? Yeah, you like you know like the genius madman sort of thing that yeah, you've yeah. got. You know, like that the people yeah. kind of have that that kind of balance yeah. that I've got. It's like almost, he's almost like verging on the whole. Uh, you know, I, I could be somebody that could write something as absolutely groundbreaking as a proper song, but I can write, um, you know, the cheese line and yeah. <laughs> which, well, but as but, we know, but Brian Brian has got a few like kind of just they're just basic rock songs, you know. Oh yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the lyrics are usually it, pretty decent on those songs. Yeah, but and, and, that, and, song and this song, yeah, this song's got a. a, a it seems like unfinished or just rushed totally. or something. Half baked, yeah. Half baked. I think maybe Brian was spending so much time in the Prophet song that you know he didn't have time to quite did, give this maybe, the attention that it deserved it, it, or whatever. It, it, you know, it might it might have been a kind of he was seeing what was happening with the seaside rendezvous and and lazing a Sunday afternoons <laughs> and went fuck I need to get a, a heavy song in here quick. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> and then um, just, I, just jammed I, it. I'm, okay, that's talk speculation, but, <laughs> but no, it, it, ten, it tends to have better good in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, it's kind of nah. I, I was almost going to say, was, was this the start of Brian's rockers being quite basic? Um, although, I mean, you know, the, the chorus is quite tasty, don't get me wrong. I mean, the timing and then and the, yeah. the riff and all that is, is tasty, don't get me wrong. And but the riff's fast, in terms of the fast. main riff, but the yeah, main yeah. riff, you know, is this the start of Brian? Because a lot of what he wrote after that was pretty basic rockers, whereas the stuff he wrote prior to that, maybe save now I'm here, was always quite tasty, and the riffing was always tasty. And but just, just. The only point I'm going to make on it, on which was already said, is the chorus is just atrocious. It's a, it's, if I'd, even I'd have a better chorus instead of just saying yeah. "Sweet Lady" over and over again. Aye, that's have, the half-baked thing. Just, it's, it's, it's almost like a guide for it or something. Enough. 
Aye, exactly. Like just, aye, sing, aye, just sing aye. Sweet Lady over on there and we'll think of something else. Aye, aye. So I, I think it's a fair chorus. It might, have, it might have just go over the line, you know? Yeah. Um, but, it's yeah. Weird, but it's weird as well that kind of how bolted together and kind of unfinished the whole song sounds. Freddie's sounds cracking on it. Oh, aye, aye. <laughs> if I, again, kind of some of Prophet song is right at the top of his range. Um, right, yeah, right yeah, at the top yeah. of his range. You're really, really yeah. kind of screeching away, you know? Paul, do you want to pick us another one? Um, uh, 39 on the face of it is a, a basic kind of folk song. I think the the magic in this particular song is the the vocal harmonies and absolutely the, the actual lyrics, the the story of the song. You know, Roger uh, must be right at the top of his range. You know, the, the, those those kind of screams <laughs> leading into it and all that amazing. And uh, you know that you know the thought the song uh, as Brian says, it's like you know, most folk songs are about people sailing away and going to discover other lands and all that. And he turns it into a science fiction thing, you know, where as you approach the speed of light, time goes slower for you, you know, and you, you know, so these people go out, out to space to find new lands and then they come back and... Interstellar, uh, basically. <laughs> yeah, they've aged a year, but everyone on Earth has aged a hundred years. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a, a, an extremely clever concept and <laughs> the previous track we've spoken about, Sweet Lady, but you know it's it's almost lazy, and, yeah. then, and then you look at Thirty Nine and the, how well out how well thought out it is. Yeah, what a contrast! Totally. Um, musically, it's it's a, it's a basic kind of folk song, but as I say, the vocal harmonies are amazing. You know, yeah, great track, man. I really like it. It's, again, it's one of the the it's simple but again inventive at the same time and. Obviously, Brian's marrying his uh, love of astronomy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he's and he's kind of writing as well, but in a in a delicate way rather than you know, um, cosmos rocks. Cosmos rocks, aye. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, obviously mind. back then, back then, it had a little more subtlety. <laughs> right, okay. There's a few people shouting at the, the, the yeah, the, they love the, that the now because we're we're kind of making a snide comment about. Um, post Freddy <laughs> Queen and in inverted commas. Anyway, yeah, we're bitches and we don't care. Joe, 39, any, any other points on that? Any thoughts? Just like you say, but go back to the, I agree with Paul that the, for me, that the standout of that is the vocals and it's from Roger, especially like, and it was actually an interesting thing that I read recently and I never really thought of it like this. But it's like you, you, you wonder in rock, in heavy rock, like, you know, you've got your like Rob Halfords and stuff like that who's singing a really, really math, like, high register and stuff like that. Um, but it makes me wonder sometimes, like, again, this isn't really relevant to 39, but I thought I'd mention it anyway, but because of the, the, you said about him singing in such a high register, it is like, um, was Roger Taylor maybe like, like in some way inf- influenced kind of like, Extremely high metal singing. Okay, you can say Gillen done yeah. bits, but but yeah. but not nothing. Nothing as high as, as like Roger Taylor was doing. It's singing in that extremely high register. Because you could so you could probably say that maybe it's, that, it's usually Ian Gillen that gets the props for the 
you know, because he's because he's a head because he's yeah. a head man. But I'm talking yeah. about like I mean, I mean, we've got, you know, we've got to be fair. I mean, child in time, you know, he's he's he's, oh, in, he's in the same true. register as Roger yeah. Taylor. Ah, he's amazing. Know, so ah, yes. We need to be fair, you know, here. But but I get the point that Joe making. Joe's making because yeah. it was yeah, a different style, point. you know. You know, Roger. Roger's more operatic. Hundred kind of you took the words out of my mouth. It was more that kind of. You know the you know the, the shaking the voice the, uh, yeah thing, you know, when it goes, Opera- really high and operatic yeah yeah but but yeah. those those the, the kind of metal screamers and stuff absolutely good company Brian May song he talked about his his dad playing the banjo during the war and I'm not sure if he actually you know was a soldier or I'm I'm not entirely sure but he said during the war he, he played his banjo and that was how dare you it's a ukulele banjo. It's a completely different instrument. Excuse me, I've been corrected. Well, um, we, don't, we, we don't want Brian May's lawyers taking us off the internet, so... That's true. Well, Get your instruments right. It'll happen soon enough anyway, probably. So, <laughs> um, so ah, down, yeah, guys. The, <laughs> <laughs> the ukulele banjo, sorry. And, uh, yeah, the story goes his dad used to play it. Another throwback song, if you want to call it. Another one of those... You know, you could actually put Big uh, Good Company along with Seaside Rendezvous and Lazing on a Sunday afternoon, to be fair. Agreed, um, definitely. If you, were being, if you were being harsh or being yeah. realistic. I, um, think it, I think you could package yeah. those three songs into almost like a wee suite of old days. Yeah, throwbacks. <laughs> exactly, you know. Um, yeah. And and again, maybe, again, maybe get back to the cynical me who didn't exist back in 1975, I'm thinking... Yeah, another one, really. What well, it says this one apart is how it was constructed. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Brian May sat for probably weeks, day, you know, months in the end or whatever, constructing all these guitar parts to sound like a Dixieland jazz band, using a, a, a tiny little amplifier called the Deakey Amp, which was built by John Deacon um, out, out of a, a radio um, that was found in a skip and I put, you know, he, he hooked it into a, a hi-fi speaker, as far as I know, uh, powered by a nine-volt battery. Ryan May used this thing, you know, very low-powered amplifier, uh, pretty much, to create these sounds. And, and he'd obviously used them in uh, albums before. He'd used them. I think he used the DKM on Procession. I think that was roughly about the first mm-hmm. time it appeared. Um, I had to get that kind of screechy sound, that kind of high, yeah. high-end sound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a, a very high, very thin sound, um, but obviously you discovered that you could recreate all these uh, instruments. The skill involved in putting it together and all that is, is incredible. And the, and the time that you took on the surface, it's a kind of, yeah, you know, throwaway kind of uh, thing. But when you look at how it was put together, it's it's pretty impressive, actually. But, but I can understand why people would just, you know, you know no, I, I do agree. In fairness, I do agree that that section. I mean, it's a good company. I actually like the song, you know. Um, but um, I, I, I don't do, do think there's any getting away from the fact that it's another song of that ilk, you know, on the album. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally agree that the Dixieland section that he, that he does with the guitar, recreating all the the various instruments in that band, you know, with his guitar again, just another inventive way of using the guitar and. But not just for the sake of, oh, I'm showing off, I can do this. It creates a really great wee piece of music with it. Yeah. You know, it's um, so it's not, um, 
it's not flashy for the sake of being flashy. It's flashy, but it's really musical. It's a good tune, uh, good company. Um, again, you know, probably throw away in, in a lot of ways for me personally. But I, I agree with you, Paul. I think the you know the, the effort that's went into it, you know, can't be overlooked and shouldn't be overlooked. But so so fair play on that one, Joe. Any thoughts on good company? I think it's again, it's like uh, the two the two songs you mentioned there, the Seaside Rendezvous and Blazing a Sunday Afternoon. They, they all seem very novelty to me. But like those other two songs, you can't deny the 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 playing on them, you know, and the fact that they're able to nail the styles. Whether I think it's a, they're great songs or not, it's besides the point. They 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 set out to do a specific style and they nailed it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got to give them uh, props for that. Where, whether I think it's a great song, no, I don't think it's a great song. I think I kind of lump it in with those ones as well. To me, it's kind of this album and, and really, when I, I, I said I just want to clarify something because on more th- I thought about it more as we've been speaking about it, I actually wouldn't rate this record in my top three because because and it is because of those three songs that you just were just talking about. Now, when I actually thought about it, um, the reason I thought maybe. Otherwise, it was because the great songs on it are so good. Yeah. But but I can't, as much as the Prophet song and Death in Two Legs and Bahamian Rhapsody and even like some of the other ones, uh, Love and My Car are such great songs, they're kind of almost dragged down just a wee bit by those three songs. Well, they're not as individual songs dragged down, but the album as a whole cohesive part of works probably brought down for me a wee bit because of those. But again, I'm not... I can totally understand the amount of skill that was involved in to do those songs, and they're more impressive than they are than they are enjoyable for me. If you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. They're, they're impressive. They're impressive for the, what they, what they were doing. You know, the thimbles, you know, using innovative ideas like to do the tap dancing. They were using thimbles, primary using them that the the amp you were talking about that John Deacon made to to create a kind of horn section and stuff. I mean, those things are amazing. They're just not put into great songs. I think that's what I'm trying to say, that are pleasing to me. Um, Queen done quote-unquote novelty songs that were far better than those songs, like like obviously Leroy Brown was one example. I think Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, obviously we're not, not onto that yet, but that that again could be considered a kind of not almost an old song, but it's a far better song. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion. Yeah, I So that, that's my opinion on that. I don't really think you guys covered pretty much everything I would say on it. Yeah, I think one thing I would say about good good company in fairness though is it's maybe lyrically it's got more depth than those are. Yeah, it's lyrically better, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's de- Brian May's definitely trying to say something with the song. Yeah, um, totally. You know, um, so they get you know compared to the other two, which Freddie would freely admit, well, you know, just come on, they're just, I'm just, it's just a bit of fun, you know, and that that was an intention clearly. I think as well, it's maybe worth mentioning is. I think this album's the first time that Queen really embraced an English persona in their music. Like, I didn't really see that in the first three records that heavily. But, you know, like, they really, I think they were really embracing their, 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 English, their Englishness. I don't even know if that's an actual word, but you know what I mean? They're really, yeah, really yeah, embracing well, the, the, yeah. the, where they came from, where a lot of the styles of music. And, you know, Freddie yeah. obviously putting on, putting on accents to sing. Yeah. You know yeah. stuff like that, and obviously Brian May. It's very English. The, the topics, 
There's a lot of songs. Yeah, yeah. These songs are very English. Yep. It's it's like kind of the bit of their heritage kind of coming through as well. But obviously, yep. Freddie yep. being from a different background, but and yeah, like yeah, and, and and of course the album's finished off by the English national anthem. So yep. you know, yep. you yeah. can't get you can't get. Well, I, I, do you know something? That. I never even thought of that. But there you yeah. go. There you yeah. go. Why don't we talk about Bohemian Rhapsody? So when I was listening listening to this album, it does really stick out as being something of higher quality than a lot of the album. To me, it's 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 got its status for for good reason, uh, because that is for me is a phenomenal song, and it's overlooked because it's overplayed. You know, it is overplayed. That's 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 the that's the truth of the matter. For a long time, it, it just kind of washed over me because it was overplayed. But every time I hear it now, I always hear something in it that just just takes me takes me away. And and you know, I'm always immersed in the song every time I hear it now. And it's maybe got to the point where it's so overplayed that it, the overplaying doesn't have an impact on me as much. I just hear the song now, and I don't know. I don't know how if that even makes any sense. But it, you know, everybody knows. You know, everybody from from you know your granny to to you know the the guy halfway around the world knows it's a great song you know phenomenal piece of work again another example of you know at the start with it's just Freddie's voice because you just you just did Freddie's voice again in Prophet song you just did Freddie's voice doing the harmonies and uh, and love of my life it was just Freddie doing all the harmonies and now you've got Freddie starting off it, it was interesting because in this album there was a lot of sections where it was just Freddie doing the doing the um the harmonies. On his yeah. own, um, which I thought was interesting. It might have been done prior on, you know, subtly in the previous albums, but in terms of um, being really obvious, I think it's quite clear on this album. But it, it's just a beautiful piece of music. It's been discussed to death, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, there's documentaries on the song on its own and stuff. You know, and it's been broken down and into its, its base elements and, and discussed in, in much more detail than we are going to. But it's just just a phenomenal piece of music. One thing that, that I really like on the whole album, actually, is the drum sound. I think the drums sound fantastic on this album mm-hmm. as a whole. I think it's really, really, the toms especially sound really, really big and full. And on this song in particular, they sound, obviously in the middle section, you know, there are a lot of toms in the middle section and they, they do pound. They do, they yeah. do stick right out. It's a really crisp, crisp production on this album, as it should be. And Roy Thomas Baker is, a, is a, an excellent producer. It's just a piece of art. It's you know, like like Mick Rock said in the, the you know the classic albums um, documentary. If you were putting a human achievement uh, in terms of music in a capsule to fire into space for aliens to listen to, you would put that song in because it's just argument there. perfect. It's perfect. It's there is nothing like it. There wasn't anything like it before. There'll never be anything like it after. It's just a fucking monumental. Fu- I, 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 I don't have the superlatives to fucking describe how great a song is. And as David says, we could talk about the actual track and all that, but what's the point? It's you know, it's it's kind of been done to death already. What I will say is, it still has the the power to surprise me. Just how you know, just the power it has. Aye, it is. It's just, it's just amazing. Like Paul said, and you said, it's, it's a work of art in itself. I think it, when you think of like you know songs like proper like defining, even not even genre defining, but like just if you were to ask 
like every say for Thomas Hicks, like you were to ask everybody in the world that was uh, that music was available to, you know what I mean? And were people who knew music, and you asked what's the most iconic song ever written, I would put my money on that would probably any be at the top because uh, I can't think I can't even think of a a Beatles song that resonated resonated that much with culture. Okay, the Beatles sold more records than Queen, that's undisputable. I'm just using the Beatles as a reference here because of their significance and obviously yeah. being yeah. being important to Queen as a band as well, you know, being fans of the Beatles. But even the Beatles didn't achieve that. You know, there's not one Beatles song that has that amount of weight and, and, and it's in the, the collective consciousness of everybody from my 88-year-old uh, father-in-law to a, to a two-year-old kid it's still, you know what I mean? Because it's everywhere when that film came out, it was everywhere again. It's so monumental yeah. that, in a way, it's, it, as much as it is, it, it is like the perfectly crafted song, in a way, I think it's somewhat de- detrimental in some respects to Queen as well because it's kind of overshadows a lot a lot of other stuff that Queen did that in yeah. my opinion, I'm not saying Beaming Rhapsody is my favourite Queen song because it isn't. Mm-hmm. It isn't my favourite Queen song as we'll speak about later when we go into later on albums. I have Queen songs that I prefer to Beaming Rhapsody but it, it's, it's one example of one song that everybody, and I mean everybody from the, the, the youngest to the oldest will know. So for that very reason, I mean... Uh, that, yeah, that's I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. In fact, the very fact that this 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 every every generation seems to rediscover this this song as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like obviously it was massive in the seventies, and then obviously as much as that, that kind of stupid to mention Wayne's World, believe it or not. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come back. Boom, it was back. Again. It was back again, right? And now now they've got the you know the, the shitty film. And I, and I will say that because I'm not going to. That's just my opinion. So, suck it down. But you know that that, <laughs> mo- that movie that movie came out. Boom! A whole new generation yes, of folk. Yeah. It's named there, there's that, that, there's yeah, no yeah. other. There, there's not another single band I can think of that that has that 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 appeal. So that was uh, a night at the opera for us. Um, we discussed it at length. Queen's fourth album. Queen's most successful album, Queen's most famous album, featured in Queen's most famous song, one of the most famous songs of all time, if not the most famous song of all time. It's contentious, I suppose. Okay, Paul, can you sum up A Night at the Opera for me, for you? A Night at the Opera is my favourite Queen album. Is it perfect? No. It's not perfect by any manner of means. Um, Queen 2 is the perfect Queen album, but this is like an old friend to me. and It's the first album I ever bought. And these every track on here is like you know it's it's like a warm bath it's like a you know a, a warm blanket kind of thing it's just you know and it's got me through some shit in my life as I say it's not perfect but um, it's a great album and you know I think that's borne out with the sales and all that all the rest of it yeah um, and uh, you know if you haven't listened to it in a while give it a listen because it's amazing. On A Night of the Opera, I think it's a it's a Queen album for me. It's just it's a Queen album. It's not one of my favourite Queen albums. 
it's I can see and hear. I can hear, so I keep saying see. I can hear the work that's went into it, and you know, and they they, they band that have absolutely worked incredibly hard on it, and it, it's evident. I think it doesn't quite flow as an album for me, um, in the same way some of the other Queen albums, like Queen Two and Sheer Heart Attack, for me flow very well, exceptionally well, and I think are better albums. It's just, yeah, I think it's I think it's maybe the diversity thing. It's never a problem for me with Queen the diversity. I just think maybe they didn't quite get it bang on on this album in terms of like styles and and the mix of styles and maybe the repetitiveness of it at times. You know, as we discussed, is is maybe a wee bit of contention for me. So no, I'm not going to stand here and or sit here and whatever and say it. It's one of my favourites and and it's and it's a better album than I think it is. For the sake of it, it's not. It's not a bad album. It's a, it's an it's an excellent album still. But you got to remember, I'm I'm we're doing a Queen podcast, and I'm I'm approaching this very objectively, you know, um, and in the full context of of Queen's uh, output. So, um, that's why I, it maybe sounds a bit harsh, you know, what I'm saying about the album because there's some phenomenal pieces of music on it, but there's also a lot of stuff that could maybe have been left off it. In my opinion, probably is going back to the you know the hypothetical Queen fan in nineteen seventy five. Listen to this, I probably would have been a wee bit underwhelmed. I have to say, you know, having having listened to the previous three albums, um, but equally could have seen the greatness in it at the same time. You know, where it where it was due, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Prophet Song, Death and Two Legs. I'm in love with my car. These are all great tunes. Um, they really are. Um, thirty nine, you know, there's there's you know, there's more good on it than 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 mediocre. But I think that's it, there's just a bit of mediocrity on it in terms of you know, uh you know, Paul Paul looked at them, you know, some of these songs as not being songs, they're just I don't even look at them as songs and I get that and understand that, but they're still songs on an album, so they still need to mean something. So, you know, that that's for me. That's for me. So but Queen would freely admit, and Fred would freely admit that don't be, don't be, don't take life so bloody seriously, you know. And and they would probably say that to me if he was here right now, or I'd just laugh in my face probably anyway, because <laughs> he's Fred and he rules. So, um, but yeah, uh, I'm just going to shut up because I'm waffling on. But that's my thoughts on uh, an eight the opera, an excellent album, but a flawed album, if that's possible. It's not a masterpiece. I called Queen to a masterpiece. That's a masterpiece. And the opera for me is not a masterpiece. I agree. I think it's. Uh, I think if Bohemian Rhapsody hadn't been on this album, it wouldn't be held in as high acclaim. 100%. Personally, um, if Bohemian Rhapsody had been on Sheer Heart Attack, we'd been probably sitting talking about a different record. You know, a different classic record. Um, but I agree that um, it's a good. I think that the the strong songs. Are some of the best the Queen had done, done till that point in their career, you know, Prophet Song, Death and Two Legs, you know, songs you mentioned. But the weak the weaker stuff's the weakest stuff that they've done till that point, in my opinion. Uh, I think it, 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 it leaned a wee bit too heavy on the on the kind of novelty song elements rather than the proper, you know, developed songs that they were known for in the first three records. But I agree. If I was to rate this record, 
it's hard because it's in the shadow of Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, as much as, uh, and obviously, like I said, the Prophet Song and, and Death and Two Legs are so, they're so unbelievably great. And for that reason, it boosts that album up more in ratings for me because those songs are so good. But the weaker moments are the weakest moments I think Queen have had up until that point. So, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it is, it's, it's probably more of an engineering achievement as well as it is praised for you know for its music for, for for songs because of the, all the innovation that they did with recording at that time you know like doing all the crazy stuff that they did that nobody had really done did that way before i think i think it's a it's a good album i did say at the start of this it was in my top three but after properly thinking about it and discussing it i'd probably i'd, I'd definitely disagree with that it's probably in my top five but not my top three so yeah good good very very good record but i think if, uh, with the exclusion of Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't think we'd be talking about it the same way today. So that is it for us and a night at the opera. Next up, we have a day at the races. So please check that out next time. And we thank you again for listening and paying attention. We hope that you didn't get too annoyed with our opinions and maybe agreed with some of them and maybe you disagreed with some of them as well. But that's okay. We are we're okay with that. So please tune in next time and we'll see you then. Thank you very much and goodbye.